this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at a, a passage in the Bible, a chapter. It, it'll be Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is about us as humans, but even more, it's about God as infinite, something beyond what we can e- even imagine. This morning, as we read this, I'm just going to warn you that we're going to try to put words to things that cannot be expressed with words, that cannot be explained. And so I'm going to tell you that I will fall short of being able to describe God in all his glory. But I'm going to try to put words to just how amazing he is. I'm going to try to draw these mental images for us that will help us to see God bigger than what we have seen him previously. I remember... When I was in college, I was probably 20 or 20, 21, something like that. And I, I went to the uh, BSU library, which is now Baptist Collegiate Ministry. But I went to the library and I found this book and, and, and someone had told me I should start reading more. So I found this book and I just got the smallest book I could find that was in the library. And uh, that's the way my mind works. Um, and so I, I pick up this book, and it's called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And so I pick it up, and I start reading it, and it takes me a month to read it. And it's not because it takes me a month to read 90 pages or 110 or however many it is. But it took me a month because I would read a paragraph, and I would realize this, this is a picture of God that I have never seen. That I've never thought of God in these ways, in these terms. And what it really did is all the ways that I had been thinking about God, it took all those and just broke them up and said, no, you're putting too many limits on God. You need to think bigger. And when you try to think beyond a way that you have thought your whole life, it's pretty difficult. And so hopefully this morning um, I can... We can look at this scripture together. We can see what God's word says. And it it will just help us, stir us to think about God a little differently. And so, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. Am I lying down and are acquainted with all my ways? Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So in these first six verses, the main thing we see here is that God is omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. He knows everything. And specifically, what the psalmist, who is is David, by the way, wrote this, um, King David. What the psalmist is saying specifically is, is that God knows him inside and out. Everything that could be, God knows. And think about this. We often wonder if God understands us. We often wonder... How close is God? Where is God? We, all, we often wonder these things. And this, this psalm is going to tell us what the Bible says about those questions. Because the truth is, is yes, God does know us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows us inside and out. 
And, and we can't escape his knowledge of us. If you, if you look at this, for example, in, in verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. He's saying, David has nowhere to go. He's trapped by this wonderful knowledge of God. It's a good way of being trapped. For those of you who don't like tight spaces, you, you might have just cringed a little bit. But the way that, that God surrounds us with who he is, it's all-encompassing. And he knows us. And so let's, let's look at these verses with a, a little more gentleness and ease than what we just did. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and, and known me. So right away we see that God searches us. He looks inside of us. And he, he sees what is in there. He knows us. So how many of you have, and this is rhetorical, but how many of you have ever felt misunderstood? Where you've been in a discussion or maybe an argument or maybe a fight with someone, and you just felt like, if only this person could see things from my perspective, if only this person could understand me, maybe things would be different. Um, I might be the only one. But I think that's a common thought we have. And yet we have God who does know us. And he can see things from our perspective. Whether our perspective is right or wrong is another debate. But he can see things from our perspective. He knows us. He knows us intimately. And so there should be a peace about that. That, yes, God does know us. He knows us deeply. But there should also be a little warning in our spirit. That we should live our lives in a way that honors him. Since he sees what's inside of us. There should also be a little warning of maybe I need to check my heart. And see if there's anything that shouldn't be inside of me. See if there's anything there that shouldn't be inside of me. And we're actually going to end this psalm with two verses that reflect that thinking. But the main thing we see is that, verse 2, that Jesus knows all of our thoughts. He knows everything about us. And it's not just us as individuals. He knows everything. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. So there are these words like all. He knows A-L-L. He knows it all. He knows everything. Even before a word is on my tongue, before we even speak it, Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows what we're going to say before we say it. And then the verse we read earlier, you heal me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. He's saying that when when God puts his hand on him and, and he knows... David gets this feeling that God knows everything. He gets this feeling that God's eyes pierce deep into the soul. He gets this feeling that of all, he doesn't even know what to do about it. He he doesn't even know how to handle it. And we, as humans, we're limited. We're finite, right? We're created. We're, we're a creature. We don't know everything. 
And so for us to even begin to imagine that God knows everything is just a, a weird place to even start a psalm. Because how do we even relate to that? But God is not a creature. He is not created. He is the creator. And God is not finite. He is infinite. He is beyond what we could ever imagine. He, he, he would, he'll, even when we are in eternity with him, he will never stop amazing us. He will never cease to surprise us. Because he is God. And every day, it will just be more and more awesome for us because we are in his presence and we more is revealed to us about him and, and it's a never-ending flow of surprises that will come from god because he is infinite he is beyond us and so when we think about god it, it, it's it's difficult because our brains are created right and limited and as amazing as the human brain is and i am I, it never ceases to amaze me. It never ceases to amaze me how amazing the human mind can be. It also never ceases to amaze me how weird the uh, the human mind can be. But even with these amazing brains and minds that we have, for us to think of God, we're still using something that's limited to think of something that is unlimited. And so our brains can never go far enough for us to understand who God is. And that's why we, we have to be really careful about putting God in a box. I remember one of the first times that I felt this is um, someone used an illustration about God. And by, by the way, all illustrations about God are limited also, right? Um, we know this. We, we can't really describe God with a, 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 a limita- with an um, illustration, but we can only maybe describe an aspect of God with an illustration. And so someone was trying to tell me, about this very thing. How does God know us? How does God know what we're going to say before we say it? How, how does he know these things? And they said, okay, think of uh, time as a, a mouse in a maze. Okay, so we're the mice. I said mice instead of rats, so at least, at least I didn't say rat. Um, we're the mice, and the, the mouse that's running through the maze, um, it, it doesn't know where the roadblocks are up ahead. Because it's in the maze. It can't see over the walls and that kind of thing. But the scientist who is standing above it, looking down into it, knows every outcome before the mouse even goes down it. And I remember someone told me that, and I thought, oh, my goodness, that's crazy. God, God is outside of this. But then even that, in my illustration, in my mind, that I'm, I'm you know, just as you probably just did, you were making a, forming a mental image of the scientist and the maze, and you, you probably even had how many outcomes there could be on that first choice, that kind of thing. You're, you're forming this mental image. Even that mental image, uh, the scientist is in a room, right? But God is not, there is no room that God is encased in, 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 in. We When we have these images that really do help us understand a little bit more about God, but they in themselves are limited to, to explain him, to express him, you know, we have to be careful because uh, let's think of heaven. Can, can heaven itself contain God? No, I, I don't have any idea what heaven is like except what I've read in Scripture, which is pretty limited. But here's what I know about heaven is that it doesn't contain God. It, it's just a, a place. It's just a description of a place where God dwells, 
but God is everywhere. And we're about to read this as, as we continue in this psalm. We're going to see how God has infinite knowledge. He has infinite wisdom. He knows not just everything that we're going to do, but he knows that if we would have done this, that it would have led to this or this. He knows all the possibilities because he is God. And 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 we we try to put a box around God and to understand him in a certain way. And, and really, we, we do him an injustice when we do that. And if we're not careful, then we can really begin to serve a God that is not the God described in the Bible. Uh, that book, The Knowledge of the Holy, that I was talking about earlier by A.W. Tozer, it has this quote, and I might get a word or two wrong, but it, he, he said that our wrong ideas about God are not only the fountains from which the polluted waters of idolatry flow, but they are themselves idolatrous. And what that means is this, is that when we have wrong ideas about God, okay, when we, when we think that maybe God doesn't love us, um, because of a sin that we committed, that God, he, he can't forgive us because of this sin. Okay? Well, that's a wrong idea about God. And some of us can think that there's this fountain, our mind, where we have these wrong ideas about God that flow from the, the, the mind, and that if we're not careful, these wrong ideas can lead us to a God that's not God. But what A.W. Tozer is saying in, in his quote is, is that actually, when we have wrong ideas about God, it is already changing our view of God. We are already worshiping a God that is not the God of the Bible. And, you know, a hundred years ago in this country, 200 years ago, there were a lot of people who thought that a human being was less than human because of the color of his skin or her skin. And, and they would justify that with Scripture. Now, Hopefully today in here we all know that that is a wrong idea. That scripture says that God desires that no man should perish. That scripture clearly states that God is the creator of all men. And that no one is any better than someone else just because they were born wealthy or born white or born whatever. But 100 years ago, 200 years ago. They were, those were some, not, I won't say everybody had those ideas, but they weren't rare. Were those wrong ideas? Yes. And so the question becomes, is how many wrong ideas can we have about God before we're not worshiping God? We're worshiping a God who we have formed in our mind who thinks white people are better than black people. Or thinks rich people are better than poor people. Or we've, we, we're worshiping a God in our mind who is okay with whatever sin that we want to do. And we have to be careful. Because even in our thinking about God, we can limit Him and we can come up with a wrong idea. And, and we, we really, in our minds, when we're using our minds to worship, we're creating a God in our mind, if we're not careful, that doesn't line up with the God of the Bible. So how do we know God? We know Him through His Word. And we know who he is and what he believes and what he desires and how he desires for us to live our life through his word. And can, can we know him fully in, in that we know everything about how he works and how he does things? No. I don't believe that our mind will ever be able to handle something like that. This knowledge is too great for me. I cannot attain it. And so uh, we, we will never be able to fully understand God because he is God and we are not. 
However, we can know enough about him to know who he is and who he is not. We can know that of his desire for all men to be saved because scripture tells us. We can know that he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us because scripture tells us. But we have to be careful about putting God in boxes that are too small. Verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. So here in these verses, in the first six verses, we see that God is omniscient. That he knows all. In these next few verses, verses 7 through 12, we see that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. That you cannot escape his presence. That wherever you are, God is there. You, where, wherever you might go, God is there. And this can be comforting. Because you're never going to get yourself into a situation where God is not there where he is not there to be able to help you. You're never going to find yourself in a situation. Your sin will never lead you to a place that is so dark that you cannot cry out to God and God be there. But we also need to understand that Isaiah says that is God's arm too short that he cannot save or his ear too dull that he cannot hear? No, I'm, I'm flip that. Your sins have caused a separation between you and your and so, at the same time, while we can't hide from God, where not even our sins can separate us from God in, in a sense, that he is still God and he knows who we are and he sees us in all of our sin. But in a sense of fellowship, in a sense of relationship, if we're not saved, our sins do separate us spiritually from God in a way where he will send us to a place where we cannot, for an eternity, where we sense none of his presence where we will be eternally separated from him. And so we can't escape him, and yet our sin can cause division. But even thinking about the fact that God is everywhere, it's, it's a daunting task to even think about. How, how is God everywhere? Because we're in our physical bodies, and, and we just think of things from a physical sense. And so... God is here and God is in China at the same time. We think of that and we think of it in a sense of, okay, how am I physically in the body here and physically in the body in, in China or, you know, Russia or Syria where God is needed right now. Um, he's needed here too. But, um, God's all over the globe. And so how does that work? And I, I don't know how it works. But I know he is. Because his word tells us he is. And another thing is that we're limited. Because we are created beings and physical beings, we are limited to the laws of nature, to the laws that that encompass us. We're not going to just float off into the atmosphere because there is this thing called gravity. And gravity is just really an explanation of, of, of um, this, these rules. But it holds us down. It, it keeps me from floating up right now, right? But 
I can't walk through that wall, right? Because the atoms are so tightly, or moving so fast, and they're so close together that that wall is solid. And my solid body cannot walk through that solid wall. But again, these are all, we're just thinking of things physically. I was talking to Rose yesterday, yesterday about time. And how do you even, like, think about time? Like, I can think about distance, right? I was hanging curtains yesterday, and I, and then uh, I was also, more importantly, hanging a Lego Batman movie poster in John Michael's room. And I was trying to figure out, okay, I wanted the top of the poster, which the frame was bigger than his Star Wars little posters. And so, my kid's cool. Um, and so I was trying to figure out, how do I get the top of the Lego Batman poster level with the other poster. And so uh, I had some tools to help me. I had a, a tape measure, measuring tape. I had a level, actually two levels because I'm OCD. Um, and I, I had these tools, a pencil, a hammer. I had all these things that were going to help me hang this picture. And it was really fairly simple for me to see. Even though there was, there was some math involved and all that, I could see... Okay, I, I wanted 12 inches between this one and this one, but it, I wanted 12 inches between the outside of the frame, so I couldn't hang the nails, and so there was math involved, right? And some of you have already checked out because I started doing math. And, uh, but I could see it. And, and so this, here was this physical thing that I could, my mind could comprehend, and I could do the math and figure it out. Um, I mean, if you go in there, the pictures are like this. No, I'm just playing. Uh, but time... Time is, even though it's a measurement, it's still a little more abstract. And how do you, it's easy to think, if I said a foot, it's easy to think, oh, a foot is, you know, here it is. Okay? Well, for some of us. Um, If if I said a year, how do you think of a year? Like, how how do you do that? If I said a decade, how, how do you think of a decade? We measure a decade in seconds. We think of a decade and what happened in 10 years in in just a few seconds, and it's more abstract. But we are held to these things because we are created beings. Our life has a beginning, and our life has an end. And go beyond our lives. Our lives are just a speck on the the, the timeline of humanity and and our history. our, Our world has a beginning, and... It will have an end. And so how do we think of these things? And in, 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 in our even when we're thinking about something that we're held to, like time, how do we think of it? But let's go even bigger. Who says God is held to time? Who says that things are linear for God? Who says that he is, is bound by what we're bound by? I, I'm not going to go too far into this because my mind's about to explode just thinking about it. But... Um, I was going over this sermon with Michael Pettit when he was here last week, and I was telling him, um, I have a fr- one of my mentors, Will Pounds, who's a great teacher. He, um, he believes that you, you can see all these images of Christ in the Old Testament, and I'm with him. Uh, but anyway, in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord seated on the throne, uh, a lot of people believe that that is the pre-incarnate Jesus sitting on the throne. Because God is, is not a man. God is not human, right? He, he has no form, really. 
And so how is Isaiah seeing him seated on the throne? And so a lot of people believe that is the pre-incarnate Jesus. So I was telling Michael that. And Michael said, well, I've got a friend who takes it a step further. I've got a friend who thinks that God is not held by time or limited by time. And so even though it was before the incarnation, the coming of Jesus um, to earth, that the, the Jesus who was born and, and grew into a man could be at the same time anywhere on that timeline of history. He himself could be in the flesh on that throne. And I just said, okay, I can't go. I can't do it anymore. This is too much. I felt like David back in verse 6 when he said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. But, you know, in, in science fiction, we come up with all these crazy ideas. And, and a lot of times, if you watch the old Star Treks back in, from the 50s, uh, which I have watched several times because I'm a huge nerd. And I tried to get John Michael to watch them, but in the second episode, there was a monster in it where the, you could literally see the zipper, and it was too scary for him. Um, but when you go back in time, you see that the human mind is able to, to foresee these things. Like, they had these phones, right? They would click it, and it would pop down, and, and they would talk to each other on the ship and everything. Um, well, we, you know, many years later, came up with cell phones. And so... We think of what the human mind can imagine about created things. How can we even begin to wonder how God is? How God, who is not limited to any rules, how he is. And so, I don't know. I'm just in awe. We're not going to spend as much on the last part of this uh, psalm as we did on the first part. But so far, we've seen that God is beyond us. We cannot imagine him, but we need to try. We've seen that God knows everything. He's omniscient and that he's everywhere. He's omnipresent and everywhere at all at once. He's just there. But then let's, let's keep looking. Even though he is God, even though he is beyond us, even though he knows everything, which includes our sins, even though he is everywhere at the same time. Okay, so think of this. Think of the most embarrassing sin that you can think of that you've ever done in your life. The thing that when you think of it, you feel the deepest regret, the deepest hurt. Think of that sin for a moment. And I'm sorry to put you in this unpleasant situation, but just think of that sin. And now imagine that the person you sinned against or your mother or your spouse or whoever is in the room with you while it's taking place. Okay? Maybe you told an extremely hurtful lie. Maybe, who knows what you did. But how embarrassing would that be if the person that we were sinning against or the person that we were betraying or whatever the case is, if they were there to hear us, see us sin in that way. And now think of the truth. This isn't a pretend game. Think of the truth that God was there. If he's omnipresent, he was there. And because we can't see it, see him specifically, but it being the situation of the fact that God in spirit, he's there, he's everywhere at all times. Because we can't see it, it's not as real to us we, in, in our concepts of things. And so what we have to realize is that he was there. And even, even still, 
He chose to send his son to die for us, even though he knew the depravity of human beings. Even though, even though he knew that human beings would kill his son if he was born on this earth, he still loved us enough to send Jesus. And Jesus still loved us enough to come. Because according to Scripture, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus already existed before he was born on earth, and he left heaven. He left perfection to come to this earth, to enter into this sinful world, even though he was perfect and never sinned. So for the sole purpose of glorifying the Father by dying on the cross so that we could be saved. He came to pay for our sins. He didn't deserve any sin, any punishment because he never sinned. And yet he came and he took our punishment for our sins that we committed. Because God is perfect and holy, he has to judge people who do wrong. And the Bible says we've all done wrong. And so we're all condemned. And Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. He came to die for us so that we could have hope, so that we could be with God. That's how much God loves us, even though he's seen all the horrible things that we've done or all the horrible things that we've thought. He still loves us, and yet he hates those things at the same time. Let's look at verse 12. Sorry, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. David is writing this before he has any knowledge of DNA or the human genome or any of those things. And now we can look at science. We can look through the lens of science and we can see how amazing the human body is. I mean, it's bacteria is amazing, not just human beings. Everything is, is, that God has created is so amazing and just spectacular. It's just unbelievable. And yet, it says that he was forming us. He was knitting us together. He is intimately involved in every single one of us. And so we can't look at God as he's this detached person who exists, but he's far from us. We can't look at God like that if we read Scripture. Because the scripture that we see shows God knitting us together in our mother's wombs. The, the scripture that we see is God sending his son to die for us. He loves us. He has made us and we are wonderful works. We live in a time where, uh, man, I would hate to be a kid these days. For those of you who are young people in here... I just want you to know that as an adult, I understand how hard and difficult life can be sometimes, especially with the Internet and with bullying and things like that. And you can't escape it. And, it, and if someone makes fun of you on the playground, when I was a kid, you know, you just, you, well, I won't say. I'll, I'll just say that you, they made fun of you, and then it was over with, and that was the end of it. it Maybe a few people around heard, and you were embarrassed. But now someone makes fun of you, and a million people can see it. And all your friends, your whole school, your teachers, everyone can see it online. And no one says or does anything about it. And so, you know, I can't even imagine what they must be going through. But the truth is, is that we are wonderful works of God. And so, despite what people might say about us, despite what people might think about us, we are wonderful works of God. But this doesn't just, is not just limited to us. The Muslim who... Flies the plane into a building 
is a wonderful work of God. He is just choosing to do evil things. But that person has the ability through Jesus to be forgiven and saved just as we do. Because we are all created by God. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your, in your book were written, every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So we're going back to God knowing before it even happens. God creating us. God knowing that we would be here this morning. God knowing that we would be having VBS this week. God knowing that you were going to experience pain in whatever way you've experienced pain. God knowing that you were going to experience some sickness and whatever sickness that you were dealing with right now. God knowing all those things. And for some of us, we can look at that and we can say, well, then how could God let all this happen? And I'm going to admit, I, I don't have the details. I don't know how all, why these bad things happen. I don't know why they happen to us. And I can't even begin to understand. And for really, we can have a discussion in private. But for me to try to defend God from a public stage is just futile. Because all the bad things are still happening to us. But what I can say is, is this. From everything I know about God and everything that this book says about him. I've got to believe that he is somehow not limited to our rules. He is somehow beyond us. And that somehow... His word is true and that he is working it all together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I have to believe that when I look around and all I see are bombs and storms and and literal pain and sickness and death all around me, I have to believe that God knows what he is doing. That the same God that knitted me together in my mother's womb, the same God who is everywhere, the same God who knows all, that he is working it all together for good. I have to believe that one day we'll get to the end and maybe he'll give us a glimpse of how he was working it all together for good. And and maybe we will say, oh, I get it. Or maybe we won't be able to speak. Maybe tears will just fill our eyes because we think of all the times that we doubted his goodness. We think of all the times where we question his will. And I have to believe that our minds can't understand it right now. But maybe one day he'll, he'll be able to explain it to us when we're face to face with him. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. He's saying, you're too big. There's too much going on. I can't understand. This is too good for me. You're, it's just, my mind can't comprehend it. And then he goes to this precatory part of, where he's cursing the, the evil. Let's, let's look at this. And as we're reading this, I, I want to say more, a little bit more about it before we close. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. 
Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, um, there's, there's a lot going on here, but, and I don't have time to explain everything, but let me just sum this up. Uh, basically, there's a couple of ways of thinking about this. Uh, either David just um, is a human, and he's, he's just saying this in the psalm where he's telling God his feelings, and he's saying things he shouldn't say. That's, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, or you can believe that in this moment, David is so close to God. God's hand is on him. This knowledge is too much. He sees how his sin and other people's sins offend God because God is perfect and holy and he hates sin. God hates it. He sees that it's what causes all this pain and all this hurt and all this chaos that we've been talking about. And so God hates sin. And so when David is saying, I hate this, I hate them, it's the part of them that is sinful. And let, let me try to put this on a term that we can understand it. Okay, I've had friends who struggle with addiction. And I love those friends deeply and have done lots of stuff for them and will continue to do for them, will continue to be there for them, will continue to allow them to hurt me just so that I can show them the love of Christ and to let them know that they are loved because when you love people, they will hurt you. No matter how good that person is, you will be hurt by them. And and it is okay for me to love them and hate addiction. Is that right? It is okay for me to love them and hate the things that they do and they, the substances that they put in their body that cause them to, to behave in a way that's not them, that cause them to do things that are evil. It's okay for me to love and hate at the same time. And so we just have to, to be careful about where we... We were all raised a certain way and hate means a certain thing to us. We were taught that this word hate means a certain thing to us. And the word... Um, even if you look at, oh, men of blood, that's what the ESV says in verse 19. Um, Dom is the Hebrew word. And even that word, it, it says men of blood, but even that word really is like bloodthirsty or homicide or a sinful way. So these people were killing people. Why wouldn't David hate that? And so we can, with Jesus, love our enemies desire the best for them we can live our lives in a way our lives in a way that shows them that we love them and still hate the very things that they are doing and so but let's in case you want to use this to say but it's okay to just uh even david said to perfectly hate someone um so if someone's different than me i'm going to perfectly hate them well you have to be careful because david was also a man of blood. Uriah's blood was on his hands. And so even David should be hating himself in this case. We can hate our sin. We can hate the sin of others. And we can love ourselves and love them at the same time. And we can hope that we will all be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And then the last two verses of the psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And so here's the thing. We can't know God fully, but he knows us fully. We can't comprehend all there is to God, but he can comprehend beyond us. 
And so what do we do? First thing we can do is ask God to search us, to reveal to us any sin that might be in our lives that shouldn't be there. Any wrong ideas about him that we might have, we can ask him to search us and see if there's anything grievous in us, anything wicked in us, anything wrong in us, and ask him to correct it and to lead us in a way that's everlasting. And that's where we are. And so as we close, there's a lot to grasp here. God is big. He knows all. He is everywhere. He's all the time. We cannot escape him. And this should give us a tinge of uneasiness over the sin in our life. Or for some of us, it might just need to be an overwhelming sense of guilt that we need to repent. But there should also be hope in the fact that he sees and he knows all and he still loves us. And it should also affect the way we see ourselves and we see others. We should hate our sin. We should hate the sin of others. But we should love ourselves and we should love others unconditionally as God loves us. But we should want people to repent. We should want people to get right with God because their eternity is at stake. We want to be in a way that's everlasting. We want to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins so that we stand, when we stand before God, we can say, he, and he says, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I be in your presence since you have sinned, since you did all these things? We can say, I don't deserve to be in heaven. I did do all those things. But Jesus paid my debt. Jesus took my punishment. And so I can be in your presence because of what Jesus has done for me. And, and God knows that. That's a strange illustration because God is the one who ordained all this. He's the one that set it all into motion for Jesus to come. God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit worked all this out together. They are one and they did it together. And, and so we want people to be able to say that to God when they see him. What we don't want is for us or for them to not be in right relationship with him, to not be saved, to not have a relationship with him. Because then we have to pay for our own sins. Then he has to judge us because he's a good God and he has to do what's right. He has to judge us for our sins and we don't want to be judged for our sins. The Bible says that the punishment for our sins is a place called hell, that our sins will be punished. And we don't want that. And so, where are you this morning? Maybe it's been a while since you've taken God out of the box and you've thought about him in this huge way that we cannot comprehend. 